Welcome to Ladywood, a podcast about Deadwood uh, with two huge fans of the show and one newbie. That's me, Sita. Today, we'll be discussing uh, the 12th episode, Sold Under Sin, written by Ted Mann and directed by Davis Guggenheim, the most prolific director of the first season who directed four out of the 12 episodes. But before we get started, I wanted to introduce the other uh, co-host of the show. My name is Sita Sean. I am a stand-up comedian and comedy writer. I'm Lynn Sternberger. I'm a television writer in LA. And I'm Brandi Sperry, also a writer as well as co-host of the Down Gabby podcast. And actually, we watched this episode together. So we're fresh off it. We decided since it was the finale of the first season, we should uh, assemble. Mm-hmm. I wish mm-hmm. I had uh, a meeting of the matriarchy. Yeah, yes. the matriarchy. And sure. watch and analyze it together. So you're getting sort of our almost real-time reactions to the finale. So this episode first aired June 13th of 2004, and even though it's a season finale, this episode was a season low for viewership. The show steadily lost viewers across three seasons, which I don't understand. I thought it was a really exciting episode. So the 7th Calvary under General George Crook, a.k.a. Custer's Avengers, which, like, that is the lamest comic book characters ever, (laughs) rolls into Deadwood, prompting a parade and business salutations from Farnham and Tolliver. Surgeon finally deals with Yankton's magistrate and gains a new uh, ally in Silas Adams. And Bullock confronts Otis uh, Russell, who is the widow's father, over his intentions as his relationship with Alma deepens. Doc Cochran's prayers are answered, and then Reverend Smith is put out of his misery, and then Bullock becomes the sheriff of Deadwood, which is what he wanted all along. He didn't want it. (laughs) (laughs) But in his heart of hearts, he knew he had to be. He is a sheriff. The sheriff life, you don't choose the sheriff life, the sheriff life, life chooses, chooses you. you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's what you getting for get for being such an upstanding man. <laughs> this is a very action-packed episode, and it starts very quietly and almost ominously. Al on his balcony, as usual. Everything's quiet. Sipping his tea Dan, from his mm-hmm. petite little cup. Dan brings him a cup of tea that is, like, so delicate. Mm-hmm. It's a very intimate gesture, actually. Uh, those two. We Life s- partners, in a way. <laughs> we said that it looked like a cup from anthropology, which just looks really out of place in Deadwood. Yeah. <laughs> it was very delicate, and they do appreciate that it's in character that Dan would have a very steady hand. He definitely, I mean... Gunslinging, ne'er-do-well. He can get a cup of tea up the stairs. No problem. But Johnny knows it, and... Dan knows it. Al is waiting for something, and in short order, we realize what it is, and it's the arrival of this cavalry. I know that, you know, talk of the battles and the army and everything has been sort of at the fringes this whole time, but this is the only thing that feels sort of weird to me about this episode, that they're just there all of Mm -hmm. a sudden, Mm -hmm. hanging out in town, chit-chatting about what might happen with annexation or not, whether or not they're going to stick around for a while, or... The general is worried that some of the men might desert if they get a taste of prostitution and alcohol. And it all seems a little strange to me. It seems like Al should be way more worried than he is because he spent previous episode really anxious about like the U.S. government. And, the mili- and this is like the military form of the U.S. government showing up on his front right, doorstep. Right, and this isn't the way that he wants to be taken into the Mm -hmm. United States, right? Like, he wants to have some more control over the situation, and he has no control when it comes to whatever the general's gonna do. Mm -hmm. 
Although we're told they're just passing through, the general makes it clear that he doesn't want the men to get distracted, that they're getting back on the road as soon as possible. They're just basically getting showers and fed, and then they're supposed to be gone. That's not what Cy Tolliver wants. He tries mm. to, uh, like, fracture off a part of the the militia to become sort of like standing militia in Deadwood, which is part of his power play, which we also see play out with mm-hmm. his um, goading Leon and the sheriff whose name I don't recall. I just call him the grease can Con sheriff. Stapleton. <laughs> it's Stapleton. <laughs> right. Uh, he's trying to take up, make a move on the Chinese section of town, mm-hmm. which I'm still unclear as to what that entails. Except murder. It, it looks like Leon was trying to incite uh, some sort of altercation with this uh, one of the Chinese merchants who cleaned mm-hmm. his shirt, and he, it wasn't cleaned to his satisfaction, and the, the Chinese guy ended up dead. Right. And of course, Wu was watching this incident, and he knows exactly sort of what's happening. And then I think from what I could gather is that that fight was supposed to lead to a more, like, a bigger riot, and Count Stapleton uh-huh. was there kind of to, like, basically back up Cy Tolliver's claim. Right, right. I but think so. Why is Cy trying to run the Asian population out of town? I don't know, because I thought he wanted to profit off of them. Yeah, I thought I, so too. I feel that Cy's weird plans are not clear at all. And his power play with the militia, the army, doesn't go well either, because the general seems to be an upstanding man as well. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. a little bit of a army version of Seth, kind of. Yeah. He sees right through him. And he literally tells him, if I was the sheriff of this town, I'd have you hanged. I think there's also a part of it, very too. Sad, <laughs> no, I love that. There's also a part of it where I think the general like just serves like a bigger authority body than Psy. So he has to answer for uh, for whatever would happen if all of a sudden, I don't know, 200 men went missing. You know, like that's right. going to be way harder to, to like defend to like the military courts Isn't or there whatever. there a chain of command? Yeah. Like, 50,000 pounds in gold or whatever Sai offers. He is not, not bribable. Yeah. I like him. He's got a great craggy face, too. I, I love all of the guys that they cast in the militia. He gets so many good lines for a dude who's in one, one episode. episode. Yeah. <laughs> Other things that occur, Jewel gets her boot. Aw, she's so excited. <laughs> it's like the sweetest storyline of this whole episode is Jewel getting her boot. Yeah. I didn't recall how they ended the episode, and then the image of her and, and Doc dancing was really very uplifting and magical. Like, the most two pure-hearted people in town, like, together. I think you mean uh, woodland creatures? Or... <laughs> yeah, like magical creatures. You are a nimble woodland creature. Nimble woodland yeah. creature. She has such a delightful optimism considering her lot in life, mm-hmm. which is sweeping up this, yeah. this guy's shitty, murderous <laughs> house of ill repute. Like, yeah. that's what she does. She gets shat on all the time by him and doesn't seem to have any peers. Jewel is a role model for positivity. Yeah. Yeah. She's delightful is what she is. I guess with Al, even with him shitting on her constantly, he's still giving her a place to live and, like, bored. And and that's more than maybe other people would do for her in town. And I think part of her recognizes that. Maybe. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, it's he's it's a really low bar to clear, that's all. Yeah, I mean, if he took her out of the foster... The orphanage. A, she was in an orphanage, mm-hmm. right. 
like maybe this is the best life she could have aspired to at the time for somebody with a physical disability. Yeah. I, I honestly don't know. Um, but she does seem to have some personal freedom yeah. which, to go back and forth to the dock. That's more than Trixie's got, really. Really, yeah. Um, Trixie doesn't say a word in this episode. That, that was disappointing. I, I actually really like the cavalry and what they do and the way they shake things up and how their exit affects the town overall. But at the same time, what we didn't get was Trixie and Saul, Trixie and Al, except for, for some parting mm-hmm. glances. No Jane. Jane's not back. We just didn't get our ladies. Right. We do see Trixie. She's taking care of the Reverend um, to just keep talking about what happens with the Doc in this episode. The Rev is in real bad shape. And Doc Cochran takes quite a stand with Al. Is it the first time we've seen somebody tell Al, fuck you, and seen them live um, when he just wants the women at the gem to take care of the Reverend in his final days? And then there's a very effective scene with him dropping to his knees in his little shack and just praying to God that the Rev will die. Mm -hmm. Just take him back. Feel like I just really need to call it that moment. I, we've said a couple times what a great actor Brad Dorif is, but what a performance! That was for me the most standout moment of the episode. I don't think that's a big shock. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, finally seeing him crumble. He's a man of science, and yet he he is without um, use in the Reverend's mm-hmm. dilemma. And mm-hmm. so um, to see him resort to calling upon God who he seems to really resent mm-hmm. um, and to see him break down and um, have this like PTSD induced uh, hysteria mm-hmm. about the guy who's missing his arm. I mean, it was like shocking stuff, but also incredible. Right. There's a moment where it seems like he's channeling things he heard as a battlefield doctor during mm-hmm. the civil war. And I think really in the hands of a lesser actor, it could have come off very cheesy. No. But it's just wonderfully effective. I think that that also makes me think about the fact that the doctor and the reverend sort of have experienced not the same thing, but similar things like these sort of huge, overwhelming, like um, experiences that they can't communicate to other people. And so Mm -hmm. when Doc is watching the reverend go through it, I think parts of himself recognizes that, too. It's interesting because I think, yeah, the reverend had or the minister, they refer to him interchangeably as Mm -hmm. much. But had been in the Civil War as well and mm-hmm. had seen the same uh, misery that the doc had. One had retreated to medicine and one had relied upon mm-hmm. religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and here it, it's sort of like coming to a head. And I hadn't recalled, and it was so brilliantly done, the way that we were switching between his calling upon God to put him out of his misery and Al literally putting, putting him out of yep. his misery. Yep. And then out, so Al in essence, becomes, like, God's messenger or, like, Mm -hmm. the hand of God. And yet, when he knocks on the door before Doc knows what happened, he says to God, still in his conversation, it's your competition. Uh Which, didn't I say on, like, episode one that Al could be Satan? (laughs) (laughs) I think so. A fallen angel of some kind, right? (laughs) Um, And then the other sort of brief moment that is called back to in that whole sequence is, I don't think it's an accident, that Al's final words to the Rev are, you can go now, brother, mm-hmm. after he talked about a couple of times about how his own brother had a similar affliction. 
Makes oh, you wonder what happened yeah. to him. That's really good. That hadn't struck me. That's cool. Okay, so something we haven't talked about yet that's a big part of this episode is Alma and her father, who is, I guess, Mr. Russell. I'm confused because every time he shows up on screen, Sita calls him. I am <laughs> insist. I insist. <laughs> call his name? Mr. Matthews. <laughs> Matthews. Right, right. He's not as nice as Mr. Matthews. Definitely uh, not. <laughs> so this guy. This guy. This guy. This, this fucking, fucking guy. guy. So finally, Alma gets it out of him that he's reincurred all these debts. $47,000, which according to an I don't know how reliable internet sort of conversion machine, is $1.1 million. That's so much fucking money. What is the matter with this guy? And he's like, what's the big deal? As soon as you were a Garrett, the creditors were like, here, take the money. This is how it goes. You've got all this gold. Just give me what I want. The moment that really seems to set Alma over the edge is when he's being sort of creepy touching her, her neck, her Mm -hmm. shoulder, touching a lock of hair. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of sets his sights on Sophia, the little girl. And I don't know what they're exactly implying, but Alma seems to have her own kind of like flashback terror moment. She's been handling this very well. And all of a sudden she kind of snaps. She grabs the girl. She runs out. She runs to the hardware store, gets Seth, tells him that, you know, dad is not here for good purposes. And it all seems to happen very quickly. Yeah. And Sita said, I think he's a toucher. (laughs) He's a toucher. I just, (laughs) you just see that in in his actions. And and I think right before, uh, like, or I think it's right after he kind of like um, touches the little girl in a lingering way where he says to Alma, because Alma agrees to give him the $47,000, right? If he'll, but, if he'll say, I have no more claim. Exactly. And then he rebutes by saying that, no, I can come back whenever I want. And that the combination of mm-hmm. his, it's a, a tr- not a transgression, but it's just like so horrible for like a parent to basically say that, you know, I'll have access to you whenever I want. Yeah. And it's like, access, I own you. I own you. It's like a financial thing, but then I think it triggers the emotional thing. The father is literally the patriarch in this instance. Um, But no, like, if it were just money, we know that Alma likes money, but it's not the only determining Mm -hmm. factor in her happiness. It's the touching of Sophia that drives her to go seek out Seth, and it definitely seems like she was molested. Definitely. In her childhood. I mean, I think that's driven home when Joni... Mm-hmm. comes over and talks to her and we get Joni's backstory. When yep. Joni shows up with, well, she shows up with Mr. Russell's teeth in a handkerchief because, of course, he's gotten the shit kicked out of him by Seth in a very satisfying scene mm-hmm. for me. Everyone loved it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he just goads Seth. They're in the Bell Union. They're at the crafts table. He just keeps saying, I can do whatever I want. This guy's so convinced that he can do mm-hmm. whatever he wants. And it's like, Nope, I'm. You're in Deadwood, bitch. Like you're gonna get the shit kicked out of you. You're gonna get the teeth knocked out <laughs> of your fucking head, and mm-hmm. then he does. Yeah, felt pretty good. It felt pretty good, right? I am not a violent person. I do not condone violence in the real world. In this fictional moment, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Punch him in the face. Almost standing right there, and she looks away, and everybody else is kind of half-heartedly like, eh, Seth, you could stop now. (laughs) We get get it, Seth. It's quite a sequence, because everyone seems to sort of 
anticipate that something big is about to happen. Like mm-hmm. Charlie and Saul and Joni have all like drifted in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to watch and nobody quite knows if they should step in or not. Mm-hmm. Um, Saul starts yelling at Seth to stop, which seems to be what sort of breaks his trance that he's in. Yeah. But the the tense lead up to that sequence is really, really well done. It was such a great small town moment too, where like in, in like a small town where you know everyone and there's a little bit of commotion. They're like, oh, there's something happening. Somebody yells fight and everyone like <laughs> congregates that's kind of like the scene mm-hmm. right before it's kind of incredible how seth can totally lose it beat the shit out of a guy arrange for his murder mm-hmm. uh and then decide eh, i kind of was acting reckless maybe we shouldn't have him murdered and we're all like he is obviously a sheriff <laughs> <laughs> right? he knows right from wrong <laughs> definitely the emotional journey of a sheriff <laughs> Well, you know what also that reminded me of when we were talking about um, Joni and her relationship with her father is that in a previous episode, Alma said that uh, sort of explaining about her father, that she was the apple of her dad's eye and that there was always like a ton of attention paid to her. So if we read that in sort of just the textual way, it's like, oh, she was his favorite. But I think with this episode, the subtext is like... He yeah. definitely molested her. We're getting real. We're yeah. getting realer. We're peeling back the layers yeah. mm-hmm. that have sheltered Alma Garrett mm-hmm. in her comfortable little world. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think Alma's like, I'm ready to be real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brandy, how do you feel about <laughs> <laughs> about the sex? The, uh, the boating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that too is very satisfying scene. I mean, we go from Seth kicking the shit out of someone. To then going to Dan and being like, so uh, if work gets back to New York about this shit taking <laughs> I did, it's not going to be good for any of us. <laughs> he's telling a lot of lies and a few truths about what happened to Brom. It's just like the tension, the tension, the tension. And then finally the tension released. Yeah. <laughs> he's needed it for 11 episodes. And then he gets like so almost embarrassed about mm-hmm. it and suggests that maybe Alma would want to get undressed behind the screen. <laughs> Which makes no sense. No. Because she thinks he's an idiot, right? Uh-huh. Like we, we don't see them have sex, but mm-hmm. we kind of know that's how it must have played out. Also, she was drugged out of her mind. So, so she's having that laudanum sex. So yeah. <laughs> sleepy laudanum sex. I don't want to get into it, Sita. <laughs> but yeah, so like now she's very clear headed. Mm-hmm. She's like, No, if we're doing this, we're doing it knowing full well that you are married. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> we're getting down. I love that. <laughs> I think that was the other part that was satisfying, was just Alma really going for it, too. Is this the most feminist moment of the of the whole season? <laughs> oh, of the whole season. It may be. She's certainly had the, the biggest arc for a female character, right? Right? I remember mm-hmm. it was in our first few episodes, I had to kind of, like, we had to say to Sita, trust us, like, you're, this things are going to happen with this character. Um, and now, yeah, she's acting, or she's at least creating action through what she's doing. <laughs> creating she's also, action. She's also doing <laughs> these great things like protecting her claim, protecting Sophia. Like those are the things that make you really want to root for her as a character too. She seems to be getting the knack of parenting a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah. Um, because before she had like zero instinct in how to take care of this girl and now something has kicked in. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe because she's off the drugs. 
maybe because she's she cares about her because she sees herself mm-hmm. as sort of like a, a helpless little girl and mm-hmm. she's I don't maybe she's correcting something from her past. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but She's definitely better. Sophia has new clothes. I guess they came in the trunk with all of Alma's very fancy morning clothes and her special widow lingerie with like little see-through Swiss dots. This size brooch she had. <laughs> it's like a giant gold nugget at her throat. She she threw something in for Sophia, I guess, yeah. um, because she's dressed like a very neat and tidy mm-hmm. and moneyed little girl, mm-hmm. which I guess she is now. And then to top it all off. We finally get Seth and Al, and they all know exactly what's just played out. They're all very, like, clear about who murdered who. Seth basically says, I will disregard the blood spot on Mm -hmm. the floor. And Al says, you know, take out that sheriff's badge, stick it on your tit. (laughs) Put it on the tit. (laughs) The journey is complete. I never thought that Al cared to have a sheriff, but I guess they're going to have one, and he would rather have somebody like Seth than somebody who's so Mm -hmm. malleable and, you know. Yeah, in the last couple episodes, he seemed to come around on the idea of having someone steady and somewhat noble as a sheriff of town. I think because Al knows he has to play a game here Mm -hmm. with his power, but he can't do that with people who are not on his level Mm -hmm. and people who are unpredictable. So you have somebody like Sai who is like really kind of unworthy of the game, you know, mm-hmm. because it's all just so transparent. Everything he does is like there's no subtlety to it. It's and just he, a power grab. Yeah. And then you've got idiots like Con Stapleton who isn't fit to do anything. Like he can't even react correctly to this murder in the Chinese alley to make anything happen. Like it just kind of like fizzles and dies. Like. Mm-hmm. Which is good because we don't want to race riot, right? But it just shows that like none of these guys are are understanding really what's going on. They're not deserving heroes <laughs> or anti-heroes. Right? Um, but Seth and Al are very compelling to watch play off of each other, bounce off of each other. And I don't think that's going to stop. I mean, Seth knows he's not going to do anything about that particular bloodstream from the magistrate, but... You know, they have sort of reset. It kind of felt like, okay, you pinned yourself now. Mm -hmm. Let's wash out everything that's happened before now and go forward from this moment, standing together on this balcony. Now, new game. Which is a great way to set up the next season. Oh, it's fantastic. And I I mean, interestingly, when the thing started, I think you're set up to anticipate that Al is the antagonist Mm -hmm. because he is murderous Mm -hmm. and because he is sort of like the evil presence to Seth's good angel or or whatever. But now it's a little bit more complicated. And I don't know that we actually have an antagonist in the series, like a clear cut antagonist. Mm. Other than Psy? Not in the two of them, Mm -hmm. I think, because... Seth has done a lot of regrettable things this season as well. Yeah. Um, And Al has shown that he has multiple facets and that he is capable of caring for another human being in his own way. And that he cares about the town as a whole in his own way. Um, So, yeah, but then you have someone like Sai who really doesn't. Doesn't Mm -hmm. care about the town, really. Mm -hmm. Not as a community. Um, Not the way Al does, yeah. Yeah, and then even there's been a parade of other dirtbags as well, culminating with Otis Russell, who is, you know, really only in it for himself Mm -hmm. as well. I think you're right. I think that uh, Sai is probably the closest we have to, like, a, you know, recurring antagonist in the town currently. 
you know, when the plague's not there or mm-hmm. when there isn't some outside force that's negatively impacting mm-hmm. everybody. Seismic to stir up trouble. Yep. He's the corroding internal element. Um, I don't remember where it picks up next season. So that'll be interesting to see. I also don't recall if it skips ahead in time or if it doesn't. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Um, you know, I remember some of the bigger storylines are still coming and definitely um, at least one major character who has yet to arrive, but I don't remember exactly how much time passes. Well, we haven't talked about it, but hopefully we won't take too much of a break between the release of the this episode of Ladywood and our return to season for season two. two. Um, although we're getting into the holiday season and we're going to take a, sh- a brief break, mm-hmm. a couple weeks probably, mm-hmm. where you'll just have to re-listen to us. <laughs> Watch the episodes and then listen to us. <laughs> Did anybody else have favorite quotes, favorite moments, anything anything else? I think I said a couple of my favorite lines already, but um, just to reiterate the moment when, you know, you can feel season two being set up. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, he literally says out loud, I'll be the fucking sheriff. <laughs> it's just so simple, so Seth, you know. It's really, I just, they could have had a whole speech and instead just, I'll be the fucking sheriff. I loved it too, because earlier in the episode, the general's like, wow, you should be a fucking sheriff. And then Seth is like, no, I don't yeah. want to be sheriff. Yeah, there's another Lincoln man. <laughs> great line there like I said the general gets some great lines when he realizes that Seth has this like moral compass that he's struggling with and Mm -hmm. he says to him we all have bloody thoughts yep and I love that yeah so it really is about how you act on those thoughts right and Seth realizes he has acted in bad ways but that doesn't mean he has to continue to do so I actually think that the supporting characters get the best lines of the episode for the most part um, Jewel had some winning ones. Also, a, a lot of people talking to Seth had excellent, very clear kind of not takedowns of his character, but really like got to the kernel of who Seth is. Mm-hmm. At one point, Dan says, you have to pin that, um, and he's referring to the badge, on your chest. You're mm-hmm. hypocrite enough to wear it. Mm-hmm. Which that was great. Dan nailed it. Yeah, at that moment, for sure, as he was telling Dan the situation and implying that he should kill Otis Russell. Like, Dan, do my dirty work for me. Dan has a couple great moments in this episode, and he really sees things more clearly than I think a lot of the other guys in the the posse give him yeah. credit for. Definitely not Johnny. Johnny's just the straight-out Al Swearingen fanboy, and he'll do whatever Al wants. You think it's going to stay that way after what he witnessed and the, the, the smothering? Johnny's face watching Al put the reverend out of his misery was quite a moment as well. I feel like, yeah, he was a henchman, but he was kind of like a big dreamer, kind of a, like a boy. Mm. Even his name, mm-hmm. Johnny, Johnny. Yeah, that's a boy you name. know, sets him up to be sort of the innocent mm-hmm. amongst the henchmen. And I guess this was his losing his innocence mm-hmm. moment, right? The other line that I thought was really standout was, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Bullock and Star fan. Yeah. Their, their friendship is really delightful. It's one of the, like things I can rely on mm-hmm. in this crazy town. When Seth has ordered the death of uh, Alma's father and says, what kind of man have I mm-hmm. become, Saul? And he says, I don't know. The day ain't fucking over. I love that line. <laughs> I love that line. It was like, you yeah. can still come back. 
I loved it. it we all need a Saul in our life. We do. Yeah. You can turn this around. Seth was getting some messages from all around that he really needed to be a better man after this, right? Like from Seth, from the general, mm-hmm. even from Dan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even from Dan. <laughs> True. You, know, you need to make a change, sir. <laughs> so, I mean, really beautifully written. Props to Ted Mann. And um, David Mills for this mm-hmm. whole season. Yeah, he's never the credited writer, but of course it's really his. Yeah, yeah he's a showrunner. Yeah, you know, in the room, you know that you often get rewritten. Yeah, and yeah. I doubt that this was any different because it has such a consistency of, mm-hmm. of tone. Really, really fantastic show. I'm so glad we're rewatching it all together. But this is just a very impressive season finale to me, bringing together so many different threads, mm-hmm. but really setting you up in anticipation for what's going to come in season two. Like, this is really making me want to just binge the rest of the You guys have to wait. No! I will. <laughs> I will follow the rules. Should we, <laughs> should we briefly state things that we hope to see in season two? Oh, well, it's hard because I remember a lot of it, but not the details. Oh, okay, how about what I hope? Because yes, I haven't seen season what two. What do you want? I want Alma to sort of become a really interesting business person with all of the wealth that she has. I'm kind mm-hmm. of excited about what she could do. I would love to see her team up with Joni um, because now Alma could back at any uh, number of Joni's ventures. That's, a, that, that's a great idea just I, I would, just something i would like to see happen i would like to see trixie somehow either equate um get out from under al i think they have like just such a complicated relationship i don't think they'll ever be free from each other completely uh, but i want her to have more of an equal footing with al and that means not working for him anymore mm-hmm. and then i want Sai to fucking die in a fire <laughs> <laughs> with the, just his teeth just like remaining like <laughs> I think that the movie is set after the great fire of, I don't remember. Oh, there's a fire. Yeah, I'm trying to find out as little as possible about them. That's all okay. I've heard. That's all I've heard. Um, more Dan and Al together. I really like them. They're they're, they're just like a fun couple for me. <laughs> they they just bounce a off each other. Yeah, but <laughs> I really like that relationship. And so, uh, and I think. Unless Seth divorces his wife, uh, things with Alma are going to get very complicated. Yeah, we can't expect that she's going to ride into town and yeah. right? Yeah. I love that you're pitching that uh, Alma become like an Uber madam, like giving <laughs> loans to all of the ladies. I mean, she's going to have money. And so <laughs> the, one way to sort of get power is to have a little bit of financial backing. It could be a way for the women of town to, yeah. you know, to figure out how to like, you know, mm-hmm overthrow the meeting of the constant patriarchy and i want evie to get like a new fucking coat that thing is disgusting yeah, is terrible. <laughs> yeah. he just looks like um the mad hatter from alice oh, in wonderland <laughs> no hopes for merrick i do hope that the um <laughs> the the newspaper is a success uh, merrick had a hard time i was like taking notes while we were watching this and so much was happening and i was like i feel you merrick like, <laughs> quote from the general trying to like he's like literally taking notes while Seth is beating the shit out of Alma's dad so they can report on it. <laughs> so unfortunately while we all think that we are certain Deadwood characters I think the three of us are actually all just Merricks. <laughs> oh, oh no. Don't call us out like that. We are all writers. <laughs> that is the only writer in town. <laughs> oh, no. 
I love that the depressing thought. <laughs> I especially love that scene where the general, like Merrick, uh, goes back to him to like make sure that the quote is correct, and the general just goes, "Sweet Jesus Christ!" Really doesn't want to talk so to him. Funny. That was excellent. That was super good. Right. That that actor was great. Really who, great. who is he? Let's get him back on the. Let's yeah, get him back for the movie. Well, on that note, we will see you back here for season two. Until then, you can find us on Twitter at Ladywoodcast. You can find me at Wee Brandy. That's O U I B R A N D I. I'm at Lynn Sternberger. S T E R N B E R G E R. And I'm at Slowbear, S-L-O-B-E-A-R. Thank you so much for listening.